we know that there's two obvious things that CTOs need to excel at, which is understanding technology, how it can solve problems, where we are today, what the ecosystems look like, so we can apply those to business problems. We know the second one is leadership and management, and with that comes EQ and collaboration and mentorship and coaching. But then there's this third one, which we consider to be network. So how's the strength of your network, the influence you have in your network, the reputation that you are cultivating inside of that network? Claudius and Kevin, I consider both of you people who are out there and really understand what the benefits are of actually doing the work to get out there so you can attract people to the cause. Have you seen the benefits of getting out there to promote your role, your reputation, to increase your influence? Talk to me a little bit about where and how that has worked for you. From 7 CTOs, my name is Etienne De Bruyne and you're in the CTO studio. I am the Chief Technology Officer at Anaconda. Been a CTO now for the past six-some years, VP, Engine, DOE, and Developer and stuff. Before that, I've worked at, besides Anaconda, I was at Amfido, Avo, Spotify, and then big companies, Microsoft, IBM, and things like that. So I started blogging and giving talks when I, before I was at Spotify, I was at Adobe. I started there and we were building this new technology that was a developer for developers to add stuff to like Photoshop and After Effects and stuff. And there was, I didn't have a whole DevRel network I could lean on. So as engineering manager of that team, I'm like, okay, I got to get the word out. So I started to you become my own DevRel organization. And that I saw the benefit that had as far as making raising awareness around the technology and helping to drive adoption of it. It didn't hurt that I was like publishing stuff on adobe.com. But that started to understand the value of that. And obviously, once you start talking and you give a talk here and you give a talk there, all of a sudden, that kind of people start to reach out to you to give talks. And for the beginning of that, I was just really focused on trying to raise the profile of the technology my team was building. But when I went to Spotify, I joined Spotify right after they published that white paper on the Spotify model. So I joined a couple months after that. So in 2013. And, you know, that when I joined, like they sent it to me, I'd never heard of it. But by the time or when I was interviewing, they sent it to me, I'd never heard of it. But but by the time I was there, like three, four, six months, you know, it was everywhere. Everybody was fascinated about it. it really taken off. But what I saw was when I would go and give talks about Spotify, I could go and give a talk somewhere and I could see from like people applying to our roles, I could see that immediately turned into people applying to our jobs. So what I started to understand was the real value in recruiting for being out there and talking about your company and talking about what you do. And so that transformed a lot of the way that I approached the, like trying to be trying to give talks and trying to write was that it was like, oh, this is an important thing around employer branding. I really didn't understand employer branding until that point. And I was lucky because I was a Spotify. It was very easy to do that there because there was already a lot of fascination with it. But when I left Spotify and I went to started going to much smaller companies like Avo or a CTO, you know, we were literally downtown Seattle surrounded by Amazon, literally surrounded by Amazon offices. And 
we were competing for talent against companies like Claudius's and other companies. And I needed ways to get us to stand out uh, amongst all these other C's, these other startups. And being out there and representing the company and talking about what we did and getting the developers and the team to also go out and talk, I could uh, directly see the impact in our recruiting and our people applying to our roles. It made a significant difference. So that's, I've just continued to lean into that for that Mm. reason alone. And personally, you know, it doesn't hurt. I've got, I've gotten jobs partially because a founder or somebody saw me give a talk or somebody sent them one of my talks or sent them one of my blog posts. And I, that, that person seems pretty interesting. We should talk to them. So my background is in software engineering, ex-Microsoft as well. So I've been coming with Kevin, current co-founder and CTO of Spritz, formerly new. We are a tech stars company and new in its uh, incubation and, and ideation was essentially Uber for Airbnb cleaning and connected vacation rental hosts uh, to housekeepers. And in January, 2022, we pivoted into building back office SaaS for housekeeping, small business service businesses. And we're currently in that process of building this new product out, which is focused on just the supply side of that marketplace and making sure housekeepers have a profitable business. Etienne, you, re- you mentioned there is a big benefit to being out there as a, as a leader, as a presenter, however you want to do that. Um, and that is really to attract people and talent to your opportunity, your journey, whatever you're working on. I come from this as a founder and as a founder, you really have to be, really have to be your number one recruiter. And a lot of that comes from the goal of, again, helping the company succeed and attracting as much good talent to what we're doing, but also from the point of a startup, also attracting investors and just people who are interested in our, in our journey. And it's really important. I do think to, again, try to be a thought leader. It's not, it's not something that comes naturally. You have to put in the work. I think everyone thinks that this is something that is like you're naturally born to go speak and that's not the case. I think it's really important to build that skill set because that is something that can, one, put you above the rest and make you stand out, especially because everyone has a story to tell. Everyone is unique and there's, uh, there's something that can be gleaned from your insights that unless you present them, no one's going to know and you aren't going to be able to come to your journey. Yeah. Yes, 5,000 articles have been written on DEI, but no one knows what you think about DEI. I used to give talks that were more think pieces, right? I used to give the, what is leadership or what does this mean kind of talks. And honestly, people liked them, like they wanted them at conferences, but those are the realize those are talks I hate the most because there is, it is just, you're just spewing an idea. You're not actually connecting it to anything real. And the last few years, I've really switched my talks into like really case studies. This is something we did. This is what didn't work. This is what did work. Don't do what we did. Do something else, but steal these ideas. And that's really, while it doesn't get me nearly as many keynotes as I used to get, people still really like it. And they take a lot more from it, like actual things they can use versus big ideas they've heard a thousand times, right? Same with blog posts. If like I read a blog post and it's, oh, being soft skills are important and we should be as leaders, we should care about that. I'm like, yeah, I already know that. I've heard that a thousand times. Tell me what you did and I tell me what you did. Tell me how it was, how it worked. Tell me what you would do the same. Tell me what you do different. That's going to be a lot more valuable to me than these big ideas. Yeah. And Brittany, I think the it's almost like the human is wired to seek for authenticity in other humans. Mm-hmm. Like we we seem to have a natural, we technical types are super good at being skeptical about everything and everybody. 
but it just seems that the the seeking out authentic thoughts is something humans crave in other humans. The thing I'm really hearing from this conversation, if I piled everything that's already been said, it actually fits perfectly into kind of our theme for the next few months, which is expansion. And this year we started with intention, right? In your leadership, you really need to be intentional. And then we talked about once you're intentional, you're going to attract people. And then once you're really clear on yourself, then you can bring it out into something at a deeper level. So it first sounds as the company grows, you're actually expanding yourself and your reputation in your company. You're starting to have to be different and take it to the edges of the company. And then, as you said, Kevin, then there becomes a time where you then go beyond the walls of the company and you're doing it out in the world and it's all just expanding. But it really has to start with you being clear on who you authentically are as a leader, it sounds like, not just regurgitating things. I think the way to present or the best way to convey an idea is to tell a story. I've also done those kind of uh, reiterate other ideas that have been out there and those land, they can land, they can land okay, but people really connect to that authentic story. They want to hear about the challenges. They want to see how you're able to overcome those challenges and take something away from that. I recently, again, my, my, my current talk track is around layoffs. As I mentioned, we went through a pivot with new and as a result, I had to go through my first like mass layoff. And as a Executive as a leader, that's something that one, it's a taboo. So we don't really talk about it in, in terms of leadership. Everyone talks about the wins, but no one really wants to talk about the losses. And me going out there and really talking about this experience, one, helped a lot of other people learn lessons from my experience, but also two, um, it was an authentic story. It was much more relatable. It was something that I went through versus an idea that I was now re- reiterating to people. And that I've got so much more positive feedback and just really good responses from this talk track as a result, I think personally of it being a personal experience. When you're, if I'm a leader and I'm doing my very first layoff and I'm like, I don't know how to approach this. And I Google layoffs and I come come across Claudius's track or like a recording of Claudius's talk. And it's about, oh, it's all this kind of airy floaty thinking about layoffs in really abstract terms is like leadership. Okay. That's the, yeah, I get it. But if it's no, this is what like, Hey, we did it this way. Oh man, that didn't work. That really didn't work. Don't do it that what I would do differently next time. Or we did it this way. It tended, it, it actually worked really well. Like we related, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to handle it where it gives me something concrete and I can go, yeah, that's cool. All right. I should steal. That's a great idea. I'm going to use that. Or okay, I know, let's not do it that way. Let's think of something different. Like That's so much more valuable to people. Yep. One, th- one thing I was going to say too, because he's the founder, he's promoting the company, he's promoting, that's, he's promoting the company as, long as, as well as himself. I'm promoting my company. I am by naturally, my name's on it. One of the things that does happen too, as you build a body of work, because I've been doing this, giving talks and writing now for a lot of years that that body of work people discover it because they because it's there and i've had people who haven't seen anything i've done like in the last year or two but they know who i am because of prior stuff and they're like we have a job opening and they go i want to work with you i've read what you've talked i understand your approach i really want to work with you and that's another just it's personal branding but it is also company stuff as well Exactly. Just to add there, I think that is, you're right, the business and the personal brand kind of go hand in hand. Um, And it is really important to keep that in mind because I think a lot of people, a lot of people know that, hey, you will likely change roles, you will do other things in your life. And thus creating more opportunities for yourself to be seen gives you that 
opportunity for new things to come your way. That personal aspect of it is really important. I too have also gotten other requests to speak as a result of putting myself out there and providing value. Um, and there's other job opportunities that are coming my way. Obviously, it's a pretty yeah. good where I'm at. But no, the opportunities do come your way as a result of being out there. And people want to work with people who are seen as thought leaders, people who are seen as experts or whatever you want to call it. And anyone can be that, quite frankly. It doesn't, it's not something that is remote to just us. Anyone can do that. You just really have to share your experiences, be willing to put yourself out there and say, here's what I've tried. Here's what I've failed at. Here's what I've succeeded at. And people will gravitate towards that. And that's really what it comes down to. For me personally, I'm actually a a pretty significant introvert. And for me, I think... Once I started, attended conferences for years and years, once I started speaking, I learned the real benefit of it, which is if I'm at a, certainly if I'm at a conference, now I'm a little bit better because I forced myself to be. But when I was younger, like I would just stand off to go sit in a chair and I would talk to no one. I'd meet no one at a whole conference. And now, oh, okay, I'm up on stage. So people will come, people will see me and they will come they'll see my talk and they come up to me and talk to me and we have something built in to talk about. And that benefit alone has been, has really been helpful to me. Just like having a built-in thing to talk to people about. One thing I hate now about being a closing keynote is unless people have already seen me, they don't, like they don't know who I am until the very last minute. So then I spend the whole conference like sitting by myself until, like I said, I'm gotten a little bit better. I forced myself to talk to people, but yeah, it's easier if you're early on. That's the number one networking hack, honestly. It's so much, if you imagine, just think about it, the people who get the most visibility are those on stage. And thus, um, if you're at a networking event, you may have to talk to uh, 10 people, quite frankly, by yourself. But if you're a speaker, 100 people will come talk to you after your talk. Like so much, so many more people want to engage with you for for presenting an idea or concept than you'll ever be able to talk to independently. And sometimes it's just a, grabbing a LinkedIn, but you get the chance to make more connections as a result. So yeah, totally uh, recommend and and, uh, recognize that. It is interesting for me how you then, if like like Kevin, like you and Claudia said, if you are a speaker, you have the high ground in the offense because people are coming up to you. There is a, there's a context that is pro you because A, someone has self-selected to come to you. So they already, you're already the authority and B, they generally have nice things to say unless, unless you have an antagonists coming up to you. But the, the idea, and this is a little effed up probably, but the idea that you get to mingle from the high ground if you are a conference speaker, that is a reality. I accidentally spoke at a conference a few weeks ago, and boy, <laughs> the number of starry-eyed people that came to me before I'd even spoken, just having speaker on my badge made me some sort of local fake celebrity. And it's interesting the conversations that can come from that point before you stab them in the heart with your spear. (laughs) (laughs) You have the offensive high ground. And that's like jumping ahead at one of the things I'd love to hear from Claudius and Kevin, being that you both touched on the importance of really allowing yourself to see that your version of something or the way you go about something actually is really important. With our forums, we're going to be talking about how you're seen both in your company and outside of your company. And I'd love to hear how you both fostered that. Were you even aware of it? At what point did you become aware of it? And how do you go about creating the really the way you want to be seen based on your vision for the company or your vision for your career? 
That's, yeah, that's a really good question, Brittany. I think you do have to be mindful of that, regardless of, of how you approach it. That is happening. I think beyond just as a aside, my philosophy, my personal philosophy is beyond leadership. Anyone can do this. Even as an employee at Microsoft, I was doing it as well. Like I was trying to be in one of the top 1% of employees. And so as a result, I put myself out there. I took up opportunities to work on Microsoft, uh, like MS Build, which is Microsoft's uh, premier conference where they announced new things. But I just was trying to put myself out there as much as possible to gain experience, but also be able to showcase that here's things that I can do. So it's not just, again, as a leadership thing, any, anyone can do this from employee up to a leader. In terms of how I went about it, again, I try to be intentional about that activity in the sense that I understand there is going to be personal benefit for me doing this in the sense that I never know where my career is going to go, but as much as, as much as I can give myself the opportunity to advance, that's always a good thing. And so putting myself out there, letting opportunities come to me as a result of people recognizing what I'm interested in has always been a, a huge benefit. In terms of the company, obviously, as Kevin mentioned earlier, I always try to make it about the company as well, uh, even more so, quite frankly, because that is the thing that is giving me the experience to be able to go speak. As a thing that is giving me the the, uh, the experience and the learning and the knowledge to be able to go present. So it's it's tied tandem in tandem. But by doing any presentation, you definitely build a personal brand for yourself, which gives you that brings those opportunities to you. So I think it's good to be intentional about it and have the desire. As Kevin mentioned, I'm also very introverted. It was not a not a thing to take lightly. I wanted to get better at this. I want to get better at presenting my ideas. Um, I did blog for Microsoft for a while uh, as well as one of their the group, the charter, the group was called Commercial Software Engineering. Essentially, it was a DevRel group working with other Microsoft partners and did some blogging there. Didn't really enjoy that medium. So I think you also have to find the right medium for yourself. For me, it's largely video and audio. I enjoy speaking and I enjoy presenting. And those two things really work well for me. And I can also repurpose that content and leverage it elsewhere. So um, all that to say, I think it's good to be intentional about it, but regardless of how you go about it, it's happening. I think whether you think it is or not, people are giving you some type of perception. They're adjusting whatever you're putting out there, whether it is little or it's a lot, and they're giving you some type of perception. So you should try to curate the one that you want. At the very least, it's social proof. So yep. what is your Twitter feed saying? Yeah. Are you updating on LinkedIn? And then are you blogging? So much of when I interview people, I do want to see what are they putting out there? There's, uh, yeah, I'm the same as you, Kweiss. I actually don't like writing. I don't think I'm very good at it. I don't like doing it. It's a pain for me to do, but I do it. And I've tra trained and I force myself to do it. There's a benefit to doing both the video and the written because the Honestly, it's SEO. Actually, <laughs> yeah. if I was going to think about it, it's like SEO alone, it makes it, and me personally, I'm much like this, like a podcast I'll probably listen to, but there's only so many hours I have in the day to watch or do whatever, but I can read much faster than I can listen, even on advanced speed. So for me, that's one of the reasons why I still force myself to write, but you can see how uneven my writing is and how infrequent relative to like other CTOs that like love writing and they're writing all the time. Yeah. internally within the company like it's different right when you speak externally you're opening yourself up to new people when you speak within the company or you try and build your brand within the company especially if you're the cto you already have credibility you already have you, you already are that thought leader that's literally your job within the company and so a lot of that is that proof like proving that no you there's a reason why i'm in this role and there's a value there 
one thing I thought about while you're talking, Claudius, was the number of companies where I've worked at or advised companies as well, where I'll see that the CTO really focuses, is really a small presence in the exec team. That happens in a lot of companies where you'll see the exec team talk and the head of sales, yeah, let's go around the CEOs. Here's the vision of the future. And then the head of HR is, hey, here's all this great stuff. And then they'll just skip, the CTO will say, everything's great. And then they'll skip over them because they, they don't hold any presence. And those are the companies where that CTO eventually, usually I've seen this happen multiple times to get sidelined or whatever, because usually if they're not speaking and if they're not visible to the company, they're not a presence, they're not thought Mm. of, people stop going to them. They start going to the other members of the exec team when they want to talk about vision or future or whatever. So even if they're running their own organization well and leading their organization well, if they're not that presence in the company, they tend to just be an afterthought or not consulted or not considered in decision-making from the rest of the organization. Stuff isn't brought to them because they don't really seem to be you know, relevant. For that alone, not only for your own organization to communicate your ideas and be somebody that people want to work for, be somebody that people are want to hear from building your brand within the company, but also across a cross function so that the sales team wants to put you on calls with customers so that the marketing team wants you to do the take in the industry magazine instead of the CEO or the head of market or the head of product or something so that you become more of a resource because if you're not that visible presence within the company you just become you become sidelined you become an afterthought that's such a fascinating point in yeah. terms of your internal reputation as you were saying that i realized that i also tend for social proof go to the company site to see on the about us page where is that CTO listed, if at all? It's very interesting sometimes to see someone speak of themselves as the CTO and then not be listed on the executive team. Right. Oh, I'm not, oh, the CTO, I'm like the CTO. Actually, you're not considered for strategy. You're not involved in budgeting. You're not right. an integral part of this company's future planning. That's a very good point. So that 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 so I think the awareness of, like Britt said earlier. Who do I want to be seen as? Which I think is an important question you ask yourself. Got to figure that out. And then secondly, to say, how am I seen inside my company? Which you might be a little surprised. And then thirdly, how am I seen outside of my company? And I almost feel like those three things are hand-in-hand DNA of building out your responder. I think it is really important to... I think. As I'm hearing us speak, I feel like a lot of uh, CTOs struggle with that, putting themselves out there. One, they might use the excuse that it's, it's a selfish thing. And so I want to make the business case for putting yourself out there even more. Because again, I do think that for a business, there's a lot of value for you putting yourself out there. As Kevin mentioned, again, being considered a thought leader helps that business get more attraction, whether it's industry attraction, whether it's talent attraction, whether it's financing attraction. Name the number of companies that have a good, visible CTO, CEO combo that are much more well-known. Microsoft, to me, is the, the golden standard of having a visible CEO, CTO, and really seeing what a company can do. Again, because having that really gives authority to that company even more, especially if you're a technology company. You're claiming to be technology. You really have to have technology, a leadership pillar. And so if your CTO or your executive in technology is not really putting themselves out there, not really making 
noise in terms of what you guys are doing, even just sharing the amazing stuff that you're working on, that signals to others that, hey, this may not be something I want to focus on. But if you have someone who's there really sounding the horn and really putting themselves out there to make sure people know what you're working on, that is a company that people are going to want to check out. That's a huge point. Yeah. Mm. Thank you for bringing that. I was thinking about that. I didn't say it. That's exactly right. You're holding the space for technology in the organization. You are representing, it's not just your own brand, it's you're also representing your, the technology organization, the people that mm-hmm. work for you. And yeah, right, and you want your organization to be visible in the company. That's, yeah, that's totally right on, Claudius. Yeah, totally. Uh, and I, what I love about that also is it forces you, if I can be a bit meta on this, it forces you to be in relationship to yourself. Uh, I tell people that you're, when you write something down, you're actually in relationship to your thoughts. Like, how do I relate to what I said? Who is that guy on stage? How do I relate to that person? And I think as what you said, Claudius, as you're starting to understand that business case for putting yourself out there, a lot of that journey is strengthening that relationship. So I try to look at the things I write. It's interesting. We, we just came back from Paris and we went to the Picasso Museum for the umpteenth time. My girls really love Picasso, which is kind of worries me and excites me. I don't know why. But, but Picasso said something very interesting. He said about his paintings that it wasn't about the final work for him. Mm. It was about the relationship he had with the creation of the painting. And he said, I don't care what people do with it afterwards. That's up to the world and the commerce and existence and life. But when I am creating, I am in a relationship with the colors I choose and why I decide to go this way instead of that way. And it really struck me. That as I am working on my own confidence that, boy, do people really want to hear this? Or I really suck at writing? Or why is it so hard to express myself? I'm trying to just say, listen, I'm building, strengthening the relationship that I have with myself. No, that's a good point. I think you do. As you pursue whatever passions you, you pursue, you are really reinforcing to yourself this is something that you want to do. This is something that you want to be and see more of in the world. Even when I have signed up to go speak, I still get nervous getting on the plane to go do it. It's not because I am uh, this public speaking guru that just has it all figured out. No, but I'm constantly trying to learn. I'm constantly trying to grow in this space because it is something that I want to, I want to be better at public speaking. So every time I get a chance, to me, I see it as practice. I don't look at it as a, oh, this is going to be the make it or break it for myself. It's just another chance to practice my craft. And so every time I go up there, I try to do one new thing that allows me to practice that skill set. So again, this recent talk track, it's been more of an experiential talk. And so it's really helped me get better at storytelling as a speaker or Anyone of a public figure knows storytelling is the key. You have to be able to to create a compelling story and share that with people. And so this speaking has allowed me to practice that and really give me the opportunity to have something of a deadline to get ready for. More or less, you Mm, don't give yourself something to pursue. You're not going to actually take it very seriously. So it gives me those opportunities where I'm like, all right, I have to present this thing to an audience. And so I need to make sure I'm good for that, whatever it takes. And quite frankly, I will say it, it takes preparation But I think some people also talk themselves out of it. They don't really give themselves the opportunity. It takes some time. And I think if you had conversations with anyone, you're a good good speaker. You can talk one-on-one with people. All you just need to do is be able to imagine that the audience is just one person that you're having that conversation with. 
one of the things when developers in my company, like they're doing their first talk and they're really nervous about it. One th coming back to your point before, Etienne, one of the things I tell them is if you're telling your story, you, your fear is that people in the audience are going to hear what you're saying. Go, they, they don't know what they're talking about. They clearly have no idea. But if you're telling your story, you are the expert on your story. And no one exactly. can contradict you on your own lived experiences. And your lived experiences are much more interesting than abstractions about stuff. And what a great place to just break the ice is yes. just, how did you do X? Yeah. First we did this, then we did that. I think I also heard, Claudius, that you said that I think it's really important is the aspect of practice. So many people think when you've reached a certain number of people on your team or you reach a certain title, then you're done practicing. But I okay. have it that leadership is inherently saying, I'm going to be practicing forever. I'm going to be practicing my vulnerability. I'm going to be practicing my communication. I'm going to be practicing speaking. Yeah. So I think that is one of the key things anyone who's looking to move move throughout a company, whether that's in terms of their expansion in the company or expansion outside of it, is you have to be willing to practice and be practicing different things all the time to really get seen or get heard or have the experience you want to have. And that practice, both practicing giving more talks as a way of just getting better at doing talks or writing more blog posts as a way of getting better at blog posts. So like you, you have to do that. It's like any 10,000 hours thing. One thing I think I'm way more nervous giving talks in front of my company than I am in public settings because I've learned most of us on this call are musicians and played in bands. When you play in a band, you rehearse like a thousand times before you go on stage. Like you rehearse a song a zillion times. So you know it completely down. When I give a talk, I rehearse that talk a bunch of times. Like I'm going out to play a song on stage or something. So I know it backwards and forwards. If I get lost, I know I can cover and stuff like that. So I, that's helped me break through the nerves on that stuff. When I give a talk in front of the company, I'm never going to rehearse that a like hundred times. So I may have made the slides and glides through them, but I'm always generally talking extemporaneously. And that's where I'm freaking nervous all the time. Because I one the other thing is when you talk in public one of the beautiful parts especially if it's not in your hometown yeah you're never <laughs> gonna see these people again so what do you care there's some you talk to somebody in Paris Etienne and they're like Etienne guy like what a moron Who's right the moron. <laughs> <laughs> but you're never gonna see him again so what do you care that's some, what that meant I that, thought they were saying yeah. let's go get idiots yeah exactly but the point being but when you talk in front of your company oh you're gonna see these people every day and if you say something really stupid they're gonna think you every time you look at them they're gonna be like Oh, yeah, I remember that time Kevin said something stupid, which for my company is most of the time. So and, then, and I think, and Britain and I talk about this a lot, which is this, so what? Exactly. You say something stupid now because you don't have the practiced yeah. to work through it. We talk about fail forward. We talk yes. about these things, but we're so shit scared yep. to say something <laughs> bad to our peers. When all you really need is a mechanism to clean it up and say, oh, I best way to say it is I could be totally wrong on this. Or what if you can just say, hey, sorry, I didn't mean to say that. I was trying to say X and it came out like a Y. Now, yeah, yeah. of course, be very careful with how you do that, but definitely not a tweet. But, but I think a lot of us, this is where our perfectionism, our right-wrong context, our pass-fail situation is our own worst enemy. Yeah, you got to cut yourself some slack. Don't be too hard on yourself because it does cause you to shut down or not speak up as much. But really, I think, again, that's the biggest thing I can say is 
not taking yourself too seriously. Like no one is the expert. You will not know everything there is to know about everything. And that's one of the things in coming into the CTO role that I was initially, initially like scared of being seen as, oh, you're going to have to be the expert at all things technology. And that's not the case. There's just literally no one that can be because technology changes so rapidly that you will, you may speak on something and the next day it's changed. And so your comment was outdated literally a day ago. And so yeah. that happens all the time. People may go back and say, hey, you said this and it was wrong. And be like, I'll see. Yeah. At the time, it was right. The technology changes yeah. so much that you don't, you can't predict everything that's going to happen and you can't say everything that's, and be okay with screwing yeah. up sometimes. My, my number one indicator that I'm a little emotionally unstable or maybe going down the wrong path is when I take myself too seriously. I'm like, holy mm. moly's, just use the word. It's not. And so that not to me is one of the, yeah, I, I love that, Claudia. So that's my number one motto is to not take myself too seriously. This yeah. is also, um, sorry, Brittany. I just made a joke. I said, Etienne, I look forward to seeing that. Yeah. I look forward to seeing Etienne take himself seriously. I haven't seen that one before. <laughs> I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, I was. The, this is where having that establish that brand helps because it gives you that natural level of trust. Well, Kevin said something stupid, but that doesn't sound like Kevin. So maybe <laughs> I should assume, maybe I should give the, a bit of the benefit of the doubt. I'll say one thing that I add because I've, I've managed small organizations, I've managed large organizations. In the larger organizations, that brand is a lot more important because you don't have one-to-one access to, you don't talk to people one-to-one yeah. almost when there's ever. So they only see you in these kind of large group meetings or you showing up in their team meeting or something like that. So they don't have that same kind of personal experience of you. And so that's where establishing your brand within the company is especially important because if you're going to make a decision that's going to affect their day-to-day you want them to come at come to it with trust yeah. and belief and you don't want to be oh the cto said you mm. want to be kevin yeah yes. and one conversation i had recently was this idea that that in this remote culture what you say could be distilled down to a fortune cookie exactly what you said kevin oh i heard the cto say we're replatforming and meanwhile that is a five paragraph slack that's been diluted to one sentence but i love what you said there where you can have if you establish on creating many signals about who you are so that the one f up isn't taken completely out of context. I think that's a great, that's another great impetus for really being disciplined about putting stuff out there. We have a general rule of thumb that you should have a personal blog and you should try and put out one article a month just so that you can slowly, steady, steady, build out your personal brand. And then like you said, that then leads to invitations to speak, podcast appearances, and then hopefully keynotes and Ultimately, the goal being, if people can know who I am and what they're going to be working with when they work with me, mm-hmm. ultimately that then, like Claudia says, b- becomes the business case for really attracting the A players. So I think we're, I think we're landing the plane. Yeah, I was just going to ask, are there anything that either three of you haven't said yet about reputation or the way that you're seen in your company or outside of your company that you feel like are really key points to share before we wrap up? There's one thing I thought about talking about. It's the executive voice. Again, in especially when your company gets big enough and with remote, that's actually much smaller than it would be like if you were all in the same office where you're not bumping into people at the coffee machine and stuff. 
where your company gets big enough that you become the CTO and not Kevin or Claudius or Etienne, you do need to be, you do need to, sadly, you need to be a little bit more careful. You can still mm. have your personality and you can still be who you are. But one thing I learned the hard way was I am a very sarcastic, sardonic type. That's my humor. And I told that's not what I do at work at all because not funny if your CTO is making a joke versus, oh, Kevin's just making a joke. I know he's not serious. That's something just to be aware of again. And I think with our kind of, we're fully remote, a lot of other companies are fully remote. That number has become way smaller. Whereas before mm. an organization this size, like, I, yeah, I wouldn't see, I wouldn't talk to a lot of people that work for me on a day-to-day basis. So they wouldn't know me that well. They wouldn't understand when I'm being sarcastic. But when the organization was half the size, yeah, that was already true because unless I'm Zooming them one-on-one, like they don't know me that well. They just know me mm. as like the CTO. So that, I think that's one thing to just be aware of in our remote times is just when you speak with the authority of the role and the authority of the company, whether you're th- trying to do that or not, you got to keep that part yeah. in mind. The only other thing I wanted to add was actually regarding the way you go about finding your your medium for which to speak on. I think it's really important to experiment. As I've already mentioned, I'm not, I don't see myself as the best writer. I'm much more authentic when I come across audio and video. I think people should experiment with their medium of choice in which they choose to communicate. There's a lot of opportunities out there now with things like Loom to be able to create short form video and really circulate that versus typing up a long memo. That's more back mm-hmm. to my speed. I, I actually prefer to just do a Loom recording or a presentation and send it to a team versus having to send them an email. And so I think people should really experiment with how they're um, again, what medium they choose to present on and that can help them find their voice and find more comfortability with it. I do think it's good to practice other mediums. Again, I've tried, pra- I've tried writing and still want to be better at that and practice it. But I also know that I much more prefer video and audio. And so that's where I'm going to put most of the bulk of my effort just so I can really come off as I want to come off. And so that's, that's something I would add. Yeah. If there are five mediums, at least just pick the one that you, yep, the one that you use. The least friction. Yeah. I love exactly. that. You don't have to start with the hardest one. I also notice is that you don't have to mimic oh, what your heroes are doing. They're good at it. They nail it. They practiced at it. Doesn't mean you have to do that. Yep. Lovely. This Thank was you. excellent. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much. To Thank you. you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of CTO Studio. This is a little taste of the many conversations we have inside Seven CTOs. In addition to our peer groups, 7CTO's members are also part of Slack, where ad hoc issues can be addressed by the larger collective. We also have one to two Zoom calls a week, where we go deep on specific challenges like brand new technologies, hiring strategies, people management, and expanding our influence and branding as technology leaders. Also check out 7CTOs.com where we publish our list of events like upcoming retreats and colloquiums in a city near you. Applications are always open, so mention CTO Studio when you apply and you'll get a free strategy session with me. Wouldn't that be fun? See you next week.